right, so kind of a recap from last week as we started through this, talking about temptation, talking about the temptation of Jesus and, and how that helps us and it strengthens us and just kind of that reminder, okay? So last week, temptation, basic understanding of it. It's an enticement to worship, love, and serve the created rather than the creator, okay? We talked about last week how we were created with the purpose to worship, love, and serve God. That is our purpose. That's why we were designed and created. That is what God wants to interact with us and have this relationship with us of worship and love and to serve him joyfully. But temptation calls upon us to choose uh, a different path or to make decisions that actually make us not worship and love and serve God, but instead ultimately serve and worship and love ourselves more than him. That is the temptation. That is the heart of temptation. And just to remind us of the seriousness of this, as we talked about this, the goal of every temptation, every temptation that comes against us in life has the same goal. The goal is to put us on a path that is going to harden our hearts, entangle our affections. It's going to deafen our ears, weaken our faith, steal our joy, dilute our love, and ultimately quench our zeal. That's the goal of temptation. To slowly chip away at us to the point that we find ourselves in a place where we will eventually, how did I get here? Why am I not excited about my faith? Why am I not loving to the people around me? Why does it feel like I don't hear God? Why do I have no joy? And as we process through today, especially, I want us to just pause for a moment. I want you to just stop. And really think about this before, about yourself, and think about this and ask yourself, where am I at in my Christianity right now? Where am I at in my relationship with Jesus? Would I say that I'm a person, man, I just, my heart feels hardened compared to maybe another time in my life. I feel like I'm torn with my affections. I feel like I don't hear and I don't understand what God wants from me. I don't feel close to him. I don't feel that zeal anymore. I don't feel joy Right? Those places we find ourselves where this is not where I want to be. Because what we're going to process through today is we're going to look at last week understanding temptation. Today we're going to start talking about how to disarm temptation. Basically, understanding where it gets its power in our lives, where it gets its authority in our lives, understanding how it is so easily able to manipulate us. Because the goal in this is next week when we finish this, we're going to spend some time talking about how to overcome temptation. But before we can start talking about overcoming temptation, we have to understand it and we have to understand where it gets its authority in the first place. Understanding our enemy. It's so important to understand this. And and I want you to ask that question. Are you in a place with your Christianity right now where you are excited? You have zeal. And joy, because these are the things that God says that he desires for us to have. Joy and abundance. Don't let anything quench your zeal or rob you of these things. My sheep will know my voice. These are things that God promises us in our relationship with him, but sadly many of us don't live in that realm. And I think we've allowed ourselves to believe that this is the norm. To not live in that realm. That's why last week we talked about Scripture telling us that it's our, our responsibility to be on guard, to be alert, to stand firm, and to resist. That's our responsibility. 
to be on guard, be alert, stand firm, and resist. And we're going to start processing through what that looks like today and then next week. So let's ask the question, where does the power of temptation come from? Ultimately, where does the power of temptation come from? And and this is simply it. Every temptation will only be effective when it is united with a lie that has been accepted and followed in your life. This is is legit what we're going to process through this morning, and I hope you just are ready to grab hold of this because uh, I'll tell you, when I started to understand this, it made so many things make so much more sense. See, the problem is not the thing that's tempting you. Remember, last week, if you were here, you listened to the sermon, we talked about many of the things that we're tempted with, they're not evil, they're not wrong. In fact, many of the things that the enemy will use to try to draw us away from God are actually things that God has given us in the first place. So many of the things, the temptation, the thing that is tempting us is not normally the thing that is wrong, but that's what we focus most of our attention on. The reality is... That temptation only has power and authority and will only be effective in my life when it is united, when it latches itself onto a lie that I have chosen to believe at some point in my life. That's what we're going to process through this morning. I want you to see that. That it's all based on the lies that we choose to believe and the lies that we choose to to follow. Now, whether or not we want to accept it or not, I want us all to understand a very important truth. Every single person in this room, no matter how long you've been a Christian, are full of a lot of different lies that you don't even realize are there. We all are because we live in this fallen world. We are constantly being bombarded with all of these different ideas and all of these things that try to pull us away from the word of God. Every single one of us, every single one of us are constantly, as we dig deeper into scripture, we dig deeper into Jesus. And as we get closer and more intimate with him, have so many different falsehoods and lies that we have chosen to believe whether we realize it or not. And I'm going to challenge us that maybe if we've been a Christian for a long time, hear me right now. The biggest lie when it comes to what we're talking about right now that you have come to believe is thinking just because you've been a Christian for X amount of years, you don't have that issue. Because Satan's good. He'll be like, you ain't got that issue. You You know plenty of the Bible. There's no lies in you that are manipulating you. There's no false ideas in your head. You've been a Christian too long. You've been reading the Bible too long. You've been under so many, you know, so many sermons you could get up there and. It's funny, one of the things I laugh about, you know, studying scripture and even preaching sermons is I love it when I go um, hear somebody preach and they'll get up here and they'll say something on the lines of uh, they're, they're talking along and all of a sudden this is that arrogance in you to think you know everything. They'll get to that part well, well, you know what God's saying here. And I'll be like, of course I do. And then they'll say what they think God's saying. I'm like, man, I never thought about it that way before. Like I have that all, all the time. It's like, oh, I know this. I got this figured out. Notice something Jesus said. Jesus said to them as he was teaching, he says, why is my language not clear to you? It's because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He goes on. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus was clear in his teaching that there, there's, this, there's this struggle and this conflict between truth and lies and that Satan is the father of lies and that's his native tongue. And as we talk about temptation and the temptations that come against us, we have to understand that the reason it has authority in us is because he'll link it to a lie that we choose to believe. Again, we can kind of sit there and say, well, okay, we'll prove that. Well, let's go back to the beginning. The first temptation. Genesis chapter 3. Here you have Eve in the garden and the serpent appears to her. And the first thing that he says to her is, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from that tree? And Eve goes and says, well... Yeah, we're, we're, we're not supposed to eat it. Um, he says, we'll die. And then she like already shows that there's a falsehood in her. Because she says, we're not even supposed to eat it. Like, we can't even touch it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God told them they couldn't touch it. She's already in this process and there's this doubt that's starting to spin around. And the next thing the serpent says is he lays the foundation of the lie. And he says, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, you will know the difference between good and evil. You will be just like him. And now all of a sudden the temptation had power in Eve because she started to process the lie. Oh, Well, God said we'd die, but you're saying we won't die. And man, I get to be like God. And now all of a sudden the temptation had authority. And all of a sudden that temptation started to have some effectiveness in her. No temptation has any place in your life until it links to a lie that you have chosen to believe and follow. So that's the first temptation. Now let's go to the the actual first sin. The actual first sin, the first rebellion against God was not actually Adam and Eve. The first rebellion against God was actually by Satan himself in the heavenly host when he rebelled against God. In Isaiah, we're told what he was choosing to believe. In Isaiah, God tells us this, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Even the first sin was based on a lie. I will ascend and be like God. I will be greater than God. I will place my throne above God. I will be the greatest of all. So the first temptation leading to the first sin of man and the first sin, the first rebellion against God were all effective because of the lie that was chosen to be believed. Jesus talked a lot about this. In fact, he says to the Jews who had believed him as he's teaching, it says there was a group of Jews that believed him. And he says to them, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
See, if we've been in church long enough, we've probably heard that before of Jesus saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall, shall set, you, set you free. Uh, I mean, that's probably something that many of us can quote. We've heard that. And we always tack that along to this idea of salvation, which of course, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, listen, you will know the truth of who I am and what I'm going to do for you. And it's going to set you free from your sin and from the punishment of sin and all of those things. But Jesus, one of Jesus' favorite things to say, if you actually look at his teachings, many, many, many times, Jesus would start a teaching by saying this, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Because everything Jesus brought in his teaching was combating the lies that mankind had been following and believing and listening to all of history. And Jesus comes and is like, I tell you the truth. I'm going to combat the lies that you're choosing to follow. And I want to give us another great lie that unfortunately too many people believe when it comes to what Jesus is saying here. When it comes to salvation, many times we stop short when Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free because we think to ourselves, I accepted Jesus. I know the truth. I am free. While yes, when I accept Jesus, I am free from the penalty of sin. Ultimately, I'm also free of the power of sin. But the problem is most of us don't ever live in the reality of being free from the power of sin is because we've come to believe that just believing in Jesus is enough. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. If you hold to my truth, you are really my disciples. You can't walk through life saying I'm good with God because I believe in Jesus. Jesus actually is very clear that belief doesn't get you anywhere. It's faith that gets you there. Faith is when my belief turns into actual action and I start following the truth. I become a disciple by following the commands and the teachings of Jesus. I start adapting my life to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. As staff, we're going through um, 1 John right now. 1 John's one of my favorite books of the Bible, but it's also one of the books of the Bible I can't stand. Because there's a lot of stuff in 1 John that I will sit there and say, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. Right? There's a lot in 1 John that I say that about. We went through chapter 1 last week, and that's one of the verses that's in there is in chapter 1 because it says this, and I really don't like it. It basically says, listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus or you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you must walk as Jesus walked. Let that set for a second. (laughs) See, we hear those things and then we just kind of move on. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we got to walk like Jesus walked. Let that set for a second. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must walk as Jesus walked. Language basically saying, you better live like Jesus lived. If you hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciples. If you hold to my truth, you are really my disciples. Again, the enemy has done a wonderful job of planting in us that belief is enough. So 
So we lay that foundation, and now I want to use that as, let's start talking about how we start disarming temptation. In Romans, it tells us this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's process this for a second through the this, through this scripture. If our purpose is to worship God, if our purpose is to love and serve God, then when Paul starts this and he says, I urge you to, urge you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, this is your true and pop, proper worship. So next, the question is then, how do we do that, Paul? How do I offer myself as a living sacrifice? And he tells us, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This statement by Paul right here is telling us when we give our lives to Jesus, when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to Jesus, the next thing that Jesus is going to do in our lives from now until the day he takes us to be home with him in eternity is he's going to be renewing your mind of the lies that the world is trying to plant in you. That's his number one goal for us when we think about holiness and we think about righteousness and we think about living for him. Jesus is saying, he's like, listen, I have come to bring you truth. And part of becoming a follower of me is allowing me to renew your mind by replacing the lies of this world, the lies of the enemy, the lies of sin, the lies of the curse, the lies of darkness, and replace them with truth. My truth. Anybody here ever wrestle with wanting to know what God's will is for you? God, what do you want? What do you want from me? Paul gives us the how, but he also gives us the why. He says, listen, if we let God renew our minds, if we let God replace lies with truth and we grow in understanding who he is and who we are and what he calls for us, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You notice the order here, right? Offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Allow him to renew your mind by replacing lies with truth. Then you'll know how to follow God's perfect and pleasing will. When I was thinking about this, this is one of the things that went through my head. Just like the Israelites were commanded, go back to the Old Testament, the Israelites were told, listen, you're going to go over and take the promised land. You're not in there yet. This, is, this was God's language. You're not in there yet, but it, always, it already belongs to you. It's yours. Like, you own it. And God told the Israelites, when you get ready to go over and you take over the land, he's like, your job is to go take possession of the land that I've already given to you. That was their job. Go take possession of the land that I've already given to you. That was God's command to them. Listen, Christian, this morning, understand this. That God is telling us that he's like, listen, your mind is like the promised land. It's full of strongholds of lies. Your heart is full of strongholds held by the enemy. And when you came to me, man, I redeemed all of that. Now your job is to go in and let's root that out. Let's go take possession of the land. 
Let's go take possession of all the ways the enemy has got a foothold in you. All the ways that he's holding you back. All the ways that he's manipulating you and twisting you. All the ways that he's trying to keep you from everything that I have for you. Just like the Israelites were called to take possession of the land, you and I are called to take possession of the truth of God and root out every single lie the enemy has tried to implant in you. And he's good. He's put a lot of stuff in us. Whether you realize it or not, he's put a lot of stuff in us. Last night as I was kind of processing as I was laying in bed and as I had this bright idea, like I'm going to go to bed early. Um, didn't really work out that well. Just kind of laid there for a while. I was thinking through stuff and just kind of thinking through the sermon. And uh, I, I love these moments where something pops into my head and I think, that was a stupid thought. Um, but then I'll think about it a little bit more and I was like, no, that kind of fits. Uh, so I had one of those thoughts. As I was sitting here thinking about lies and all that, um, I thought about the movie Goodwill Hunting. Have you ever seen Goodwill Hunting? It's a good story. If you've never seen the movie, it's basically this is what it's about. A kid was born. He's a poor kid. He was born, he's a genius. He, he's, he's just an outrageous mathematical genius. And, but he's, he's a poor kid from Boston that lives, you know, he's living a bad life in the sense of his friends. is All they worry about is drinking and partying. He lives like a one-room apartment. He has no hope, but he has all the potential in the world. Okay? Well, as part of the movie... A mathematician finds out his capabilities, and basically because the mathematician is like, you're the new prodigy of the mathematical world, he basically is like, I'm going to help you become what you can become. And part of a court uh, ruling that he got because of him breaking the law was he had to meet a psychologist or psychiatrist. So Robin Williams in the movie plays the psychiatrist. Throughout the course of the movie of him trying to help him and get him to understand things, you learn that the character, Will, in the name, uh, the character was a foster kid and he was beaten by his foster parents. Like his life, his childhood was horrific. Beaten and abused. Like at one point in the movie, they, they said, you know, his stepfather or his adopted, whatever, would put like a belt on the table and put a wrench on the table and he'd put something else on the table and, and he'd basically look at him and say, choose which one you want to be beat with tonight. You know, so this comes out in the movie of the horrible life that he had growing up. I share all that because there comes a moment at the end of the movie where they're finally getting to the place that you're hoping they're going to break through to him. And Robin Williams looks at Will, and he shows him his file. And, and, and Will says, well, what's it say in there? And, and because he's always trying to keep it secret, his past and where he's come from and everything that's happened to him. And, and Robin Williams kind of, you know, they start talking a little bit about it. And all of a sudden, Robin Williams takes the, the file, and he, and he kind of sets it down, and he, and he looks at Will, and he says, it's not your fault. And Will's character is just like, I know, kind of blows it off. And, and, and Robin Williams gets a little closer, and he's like, it's not your fault. He's like, yeah, I, I know. He gets in a little closer, he's like, it's not your fault. About three or four times, that, that interaction happens of, of Will just like, yeah, I know. And you can just see inside, everything is like breaking in him. And then all of a sudden, Robin Williams like, get right in his face. He's like, it's not your fault. And finally he breaks and he just pushes him away and he just breaks down crying. And he grabs him and he hugs him and he's just like, it's not your fault. Here's why I share that. I think there's a lot of truth 
that if I were up here preaching it and saying it about what God says about us and about you and all of those things, I'm sure many of us would hear things like, you know what, I could be up here right now and say, you know what, God loves you so much. And there are people in this room right now that you would probably be like Will and go, yeah, I know. I know. But you don't really know. Like we know we're supposed to know. Right? We know we're supposed to know. That's what, yes, that's what the Bible says, and I know, but it hasn't really sunk in yet. And this is where I'm saying the enemy is really good at twisting those lies in us and twisting these falsehoods in us. And even in church, we can hear truth. We can hear truth like you are forgiven, and you can say, I know, but you still carry guilt and shame. Because the enemy is really good at taking that lie and saying, yeah, everybody else is forgiven, but it's not you. Yeah, I love everybody else, but man, there's just something about you that's a little too broken for God to love 100%. Or we'll hear things like, God can use you, God has a plan for you, and we'll say, yeah, I know. But internally, there's a lie that says, yeah, I'm too broken to be used, I'm not good enough to be used, I don't have the gifts like everybody else has to be used. There's just a list of lies that go through our mind and our hearts that try to tell us why all the truth that we say we believe is true for everybody else, but it's not true for us. This is the things that Satan uses to manipulate. And and this is why I'm saying this is, is Jesus is like, listen, that's why I want to go in. I want to renew your mind because when I renew your mind and we start replacing those lies with truth, you are going to discover my perfect and good and pleasing will for you. If you've wrestled in your Christianity, if you've wrestled to understand who God is and what it's about and all of those things, and you're wrestling with that, where's my zeal, where's my joy, where's my love, where's all the things that the Bible promises me, I want you to just challenge yourself and ask the question and start, how many lies are you believing in? And we might not say them out loud in front of people because we know we're supposed to believe it. But that doesn't mean in here we actually believe it. It doesn't mean in here it's actually real to us. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt I lived a lot of my Christianity saying things out my mouth that I did not believe in here. And here's the thing, I believed everything that was important. Don't get me wrong, I believed Jesus was the Son of God. I believed Jesus died for my sins. I believed Jesus rose from the grave. I believed that he could forgive and save. I believed all those things, but when it came to me personally, there was a whole lot of lies that I made my life built upon other than those truths. And it affected so many aspects of my life. As Christians, how many times do we fall into the trap of saying, yeah, I know, but we don't really know. Yeah, I know he loves me, but do you really know he loves you? Yeah, he can transform me. I know he can do that, but do you really believe he can transform you? Yeah, I know he accepts me this morning. Do you really believe he accepts you? You know, a lot of times when we talk about prayer and stuff, I agree with this 100%, right? 100% I agree with this. You know, even as Lisa was was talking, I was like, yeah, I believe it, that God desperately wants me to spend time with him. But then there's a part of me that's like, God don't want to spend time with me. 
Right? All of a sudden, you're saying, God desperately wants to hear from you. But then there's a lie in me that says, he don't want to hear from you. He's annoyed with you. He's mad at you. He's tired of you. Right? These are the lies that circle around in us that we don't let come out, but they really do manipulate how we act and how we behave and how we choose to live our lives. And that is what Satan likes to do. All right? Here's the thing. As, as we process this and we talk about this, I, I don't want to be like negative because the whole point of this is to say temptation does not have to have power over us. This is the thing I love about also you know, understanding the temptation of Jesus. And we're going to start looking more detail in that now and then next week we'll really dig into that. But here's what I love about our enemy and when we think about temptation. Our enemy and temptation, man, they're predictable. They're so predictable. One of my favorite sports to watch, and I'm going to call it a sport because it's on ESPN, is poker. Now, anybody that says poker is not a sport, man, those, those dudes play for like 24 hours straight. You got to guess, that's some physical endurance right there. Sorry, but I like poker. I really enjoy watching poker. You can ask Amy. I don't watch it as much now, but when we lived in Missouri, I'd watch the World Championship of Poker because they'd like broadcast it almost like 24 hours a day. So you're, I'm just sitting there watching uh, poker all the time. Because um, one of the things I love about poker is trying to learn, and if anybody doesn't know poker, uh, trying to watch it even as someone just watching it and trying to figure out whether someone's bluffing and to learn their tells. You know, that's what they call it, your tell. Right? You have something that shows whether you have a great hand or you have a bad hand. You try to pick up on signs and all of those things. And you, you try to learn and manipulate what the other person's doing. The reason I'm sharing all this is because this is what I love about our enemy. God in the Bible has pretty much said, I'm going to show you how your enemy works. I'm going to give you all of his tells. Uh, he's predictable. I'm going to show you flat out how he's going to come after you. I'm going to show you how he acts and how he operates. So when we try to give him all this credit, God's like, I've already shown you everything you need to know. You can win against him every single time. Not some of the times, not a few of the times. God's attitude towards us is you can win every single time. Because he's predictable. We talked about this last week, but First John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. That right there, and I'm, we're going to show this. We're gonna, I'm going to show you from the temptation. Eve's temptation, Jesus' temptation. God right here gives us the three ways, the three areas that the enemy is going to come against you when it comes to temptation. These are the three areas he's going to come at you when it comes to temptation. Every single temptation is going to fall somewhere in these three things, if not multitudes of them. He's going to try to manipulate the desires of the flesh. He's going to try to manipulate the desires of your eyes. Or he's going to try to manipulate the pride of life. Every single time. This is where God's saying, I'm showing you how he works. Pay attention. Be alert. Be on guard. Resist because I'm giving you what you need to succeed. Now let's process through this just for a second. Desires of the flesh is simply what it sounds like. It's the desires of pleasing my natural self. It's the appetites of my flesh. It's things like sexual gratification, gluttony, consumption, impurity, sensuality, 
But it's also emotional things like strife and jealousy and fits of anger. Right? Divisions and dissensions and envy. Anything that connects with my sinful flesh to meet whatever need or whatever itch that I have is a desire of the flesh. Desire of the eyes. Again, it's simply what it's saying. It's that desire, that insatiable desire for more, for better, to accumulate. It's coveting. It's longing for something. It's doing whatever is necessary to attain the thing that I have seen and that I want. I see it. I want it. I desire it. I long for it. I fantasize about it. I plot and I plan on how I can get it. I manipulate So I can have the thing that I desire for that I have looked upon. And finally is the pride of life. And ultimately the pride of life is simply the exalting of self. I am most important. It's to serve me but not to serve anyone else. It's when I choose to live a life of arrogance. It's ultimately what we saw already. It's for me to live in such a way that I want to be like God. Pride of life is when I live my life and make decisions and choices building my kingdom. Building my world the way I want it and I desire it to be. These are the three areas of temptation that Satan will come against us. And this is it. Those are the three areas. So let me show you as we look back again. Let's look at Eve and then we'll look at Jesus' temptation because they show up in both. In the Bible it tells us, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, there's that desire of the flesh. Hmm, that looks tasty. I'm hungry. I want some food. And pleasing to the eye, there's the desire of the eye. And desirable for gaining wisdom. All of a sudden she's like, man, I get to be like God. I want to know more. I want to know what God knows. I'm not going to be satisfied with his kingdom, my kingdom. I mean, I want what God's got. She took some and she ate it. Those are the three areas where the enemy comes against us. Now, Lowell read through us Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And I'm not going to go back and read it again, but That way, hopefully, you listened as he was reading that. Go back and read this again. But I want you to see how these three areas also show up in Jesus' temptation. First, um, the enemy comes. I'm not going to put them up there because I just didn't want to throw all this scripture up there. But first, as we walk through this, the enemy comes to Jesus and he says, after he had been fasting for 40 days, the enemy comes and says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, why don't you take some of these stones... And turn them into bread. Now, as I said before, every temptation is only effective when it's connected to a lie. Do you hear the doubt that Satan is trying to sow in the heart of Jesus? If you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, if you're really the Messiah, show your power by doing this. And Satan was tempting Jesus to fall into a temptation based on his desire of the flesh. Jesus, you're hungry, man. Satisfy yourself. Make some bread and just eat it. 
So here we see the first temptation is basically throwing in Jesus' face. Make your physical desires the most important thing right now. Make what you want the most important thing right now. Let me give you an example of how Satan does that with us. Maybe we're struggling with different things. We're feeling in a bad place, a negative place. We're just kind of, and I've had these moments where you just feel like life is just like, oh, I'm just frustrated. I'm tired, whatever it is. And then Satan dangles something in front of you that he says, hey, you should, you should partake of this because it's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel good. And the lie he likes to use and so with that is, well, you know what? I deserve to be happy. You know? I'm important. I deserve to have some pleasure in my life. I deserve to enjoy something. I deserve that. And the whole time, Holy Spirit's like, don't do it. Don't do it. But it gets linked to this lie. And before we know it, what becomes most important to us is, you know what? I have a desire of the flesh, and I'm going to partake of the thing that's going to make me feel better. One of the things that I don't express it a lot, but internally I do, and normally when it finally blows, nobody ever sees it, I kind of go to it. But I'll give you an example of this is for me personally, is those fits of anger. Because sometimes it feels really good to get angry and blow up. Feels good to punch something, right? Got over that once. I don't do that as much anymore. I remember I got really mad and I kicked something. Yeah, it was stronger than my toe. And I was like, that was stupid. But right, I feel better. It's like, ah, it satisfied my flesh. You know what? I have a right to be angry. I have the right to blow up. I have the right to say whatever I want to say. I have the right to make you feel bad. You know why? Because it's going to make me feel better. Right? Desires of the flesh, right? Gossip. It's another thing. It's a desire of the flesh. Satan likes to come in there and be like, you know what? I want you to go talk about that person because it's going to make you feel better about you. Right? Go talk about their marriage because you, then you don't have to focus on your marriage and it's going to make you feel better. It's like, well, at least we ain't got their problems. I apologize whenever I point. It's not at anybody. I try to go up. Okay? So anybody in that direction, I'm not pointing at you. Just saying. But I'm just saying, isn't that why we, because Satan is, he's, he's putting something in us that the temptation is to make me feel better in the flesh. I want to feel better in the flesh. I want to satisfy something in me, in my flesh. And the temptation draws us to that. The second temptation, Satan then comes and, and here's the thing, I'm not skipping Jesus' response. We're going to talk a lot more in detail about that next week. Um, The next temptation, he comes to Jesus, he says, hey, takes him to the temple, puts him at the highest point of the temple. I just want to clarify something real quick. When I was a kid, I always pictured this like Jesus like way up on the top of the peak of the temple. That's not where Jesus was, okay? The way it actually was built, there was a really high ridge that was near the temple, really high place. So you get like a, this kind of like cliff sheer thing. That's probably where they were. Like, cause I was like, how did he get up there first off? And didn't anybody notice? Um, Because the whole thing that Satan says here, he's like, throw yourself down. Because Satan wants Jesus to throw himself down and basically show everybody that he's the Messiah. Right? Satan comes to him and says, listen, throw yourself off here because the Bible says, he starts quoting scripture at him. He says, the Bible says that he's going to protect you and he's going to guard you and that none of your, your, your feet won't be struck on the stone. And he's quoting scripture at him. Here's the thing that's interesting, and we're going to talk more about this next week. Satan's really good at even using scripture against this. But the thing is, is he doesn't use all of scripture. He cherry picks what he wants. 
Because then that makes us think, well, it's got to be true. It's in the Bible because we cherry pick what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. And that's what Satan does. He gives Jesus just enough of scripture to say, hey, do this because this is what the Bible says. And this is the pride of life one. This is where Satan is basically telling Jesus, why don't you exalt yourself? Show everybody your power. Show everybody you're the Messiah. Don't show people you're the son of God by doing miracles and healing people and loving people and sacrificing yourself. Don't do all that stuff. Don't do the self-sacrificing stuff. Don't do the hard stuff. Don't do that. Let's exalt you in front of everybody and let's build this awesome kingdom by you throwing yourself off of this and everybody seeing your power. Let's make it about you, Jesus. Let's show everybody how awesome you are. Let's start this ministry off with a bang and just everybody being like, man, did you see the guy that threw himself off the temple? It's like he just stopped midair and then floated down to the... That's what Satan's basically saying to him. It's pride. It's about me. That's what Satan's doing. Remember, Jesus throughout his entire ministry, kept saying the same thing. I have not come to do the will of mine. I've come to do the will of my Father. It's not about me. I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve. But Satan was still saying, hey, let's have the pride of life, right? Let's make it about you. The last one is he comes to Jesus and it says he takes him to a high mountain and he shows him all the nations of the world. And he says, hey, Jesus, all of this belongs to me. You bow down right now. It's all yours. You can have it. It's all yours. Notice again, this is the desires of the eyes, right? He took Jesus and he showed him. This is why you're here, Jesus. Don't you just want to rule all of this? That's why you've come is to rule all of the nations of the world. Let's skip the cross. Let's skip all of that hard stuff again. Let's skip you being abused. Let's skip you dying for people. Let's skip sin and all that. Who cares about all that, Jesus? I'm going to show you what you want. You want the nations. Listen, we could cut through all of it right here and now, and you can have it. Just bow down and worship me. Fulfill the desire of your eyes, Jesus. This is why you're here. Take hold of it. All you got to do is bend the knee before me. The problem with that when it comes to the temptation of Jesus is Jesus could have bowed in that moment and Jesus could have had the authority over all of the nations. The problem was he would have been forsaking the reason he was there in the first place. He wasn't there to rule the nations. He was there to save the nations. And Jesus was being tempted to forfeit the very purpose of his existence on this earth to chase after the lust of his eyes. And it's the same thing that we're tempted with on a daily basis. Chase after the things of the world and forfeit the real purpose that God has for you. Because we're chasing after things that we think will satisfy us, but they're never going to satisfy us. These are the temptations that come against us. The reason we're going through that is because we're going to disarm these temptations by understanding them. If you know how your enemy works, you can overcome your enemy. Now, here's the thing. As we end all this and we begin to prepare for communion, is simply this. Jesus tells us very clearly, or Scripture tells us very clearly. Oh, I didn't put those up there. So I guess I'm just going to read them to you. Jesus tells us very clearly. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I want you to link that with something else Jesus said. Jesus tells us that the enemy is a liar. And the liar comes for the one reason and one reason only. To kill, 
steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life in abundance. Christian, as we end today and we prepare our hearts for communion, this is my question. If you're not living the life of abundance, is it possible because you're following the lies of the enemy? Is it possible that the enemy has still has too many strongholds in your heart and in your mind that's manipulating you and it's used as a way to twist you and to keep you from all that God has from you? Jesus says, I have come to give you life in abundance. But the enemy comes to steal that from us, to take that from us, to keep us from it. Is it possible because we haven't embraced all of his truth and found the freedom that comes through his truth? Not just salvation. I'm talking about all of his truth. Next week, we're going to, again, talk about how we overcome temptation. We're going to talk about demolishing the strongholds in us. We're going to talk about how we recognize them, how we work with the Holy Spirit to remove them. We take the lies and we allow God to replace them with truth. We're going to process that next week. But as we prepare for communion, we cannot begin the process of renewing our minds until we first offer ourselves in a spiritual act of worship. So this is what I'm going to ask as we prepare for communion and then partake together. If you're in a place where you're like, I'm not living the life of abundance, but I desperately want it, you first have to offer yourself to God. I'm not just talking salvation. I'm just talking that positioning yourself before God and saying, God, search my heart and show me any wicked way that's in me. You know, I used to think that was a prayer of like, show me my sin. I don't think that's just show me my sin. That's saying, God, show me any wickedness that's in here that keeps me from the abundant life you want for me. That includes every lie, every falsehood, everything that sets itself up against the truth of who you are, Jesus. Show me every wickedness. It's not just show me my sin. So this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we partake for all that God has for us, and we celebrate the abundance that we have in Jesus Christ. My question for us, are you willing to offer yourself to God and say, my first act is a spiritual act of worship, and Lord, I give myself as a living sacrifice. Purge me of all wickedness. Not a one-time thing. It's a life commitment. Lord, I commit my life to purging my life of all wickedness. That's what Jesus came for, to set us free. And the truth is the thing that sets us free. Gracious God, we give you praise for this day. Lord, I know maybe the topic was a little bit more heavy today in just understanding lies and the enemy and temptation. But Lord, I pray that we all live with an excite, leave with an excitement today. And that excitement is that no matter how strong temptation may feel in us, no matter how strong the pull is to partake of all the things that's outside your will, Lord, you in your grace and mercy have given us all that we need for victory. Lord, just like it was singing when we were going and partaking together, Lord, you are our victory, Lord. We need to be excited about that, that we can know the schemes of our enemy, that we can know that he is predictable and we can see how he comes against us, Lord, that you have empowered us to stand firm, to be on guard, to resist, to live a life of abundance, Lord. So many times we are robbed of all that you give to us. 
Lord, let us get excited and leave this place and say, I am done being robbed of the life of abundance. I am going to chase after everything Jesus has for me, and I'm going to do that by rejecting every lie the enemy has ever said to me or tries to say to me ever again, because Jesus' truth is what sets me free. Lord, that is what you give to us. Remind us of that every day as we live for you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.